Okay, you know what? I do have, let's see, if I have some old ones. No. Nothing going on. Nothing going on over there. Okay, we'll, we'll manage, we'll manage somehow. We're up to Simon Zion and Ebene Ezer, which we spoke about just as a brief introduction. Mama Gelmi Besas Isha Nakwe Subalzera Kohen. So here is just uh, one extra, I guess, uh, from what I had uh, back in last time from the 109 Diane's Desk uh, source sheet series. So, so we have that one. So if anyone wants an extra, that's good. That's probably the only extra one that I have of that. Okay. So, Rabbi, Rabbi Schwartz dealt with, this is one of the later published chuvas because it's back, it's from 1990, uh, 2006, actually, 2006, uh, this chuva, Tavshin Samach Vav, so it's one of the later published ones uh, that we included in the volume. Rabbi Schwartz wrote the bulk of the chuvas in this volume, it seems, sort of in the 1980s and the 1990s. So there are a few from uh, after 2000. This is one of them. And he dealt with, I guess, what you might call more cutting-edge issues. So this was an issue regarding uh, a common occurrence nowadays. We have surrogate motherhood, where there's one uh, donor of uh, the egg, and then uh, there's another a woman who is the gestational carrier of uh, the child, uh, sometimes for couples that are having trouble having children, uh, the uh, the wife is able to either be the carrier, but she needs uh, some other uh, woman to donate uh, the egg that she's going to carry, or she's able to donate the egg. Sometimes she had frozen eggs, and another woman is going to carry the child. And the question is, who's considered to be who's considered to be the mother? And uh, there's a big debate uh, amongst the poskim with respect to this issue. The earlier poskim who dealt with this issue, such as Rav Meir Arik, who's quoted by uh, Rav Schwartz in this tshuva. Rav Meir Arik was the author of the Imre uh, Yosher, lived in late 19th, early uh, 20th century in uh, Galicia. Um, so he was of the opinion, as was Rav Yaman HaKohen Weiss, who was the author of a Shailas tshuva sefer called Evin Yikara, even though this wasn't the sort of thing that was happening really uh, medically during their lifetimes, but they spoke about it at least uh, theoretically, they were of the opinion that really the gestational carrier mother should be the real halakhic mother, as opposed to uh, the mother who might uh, contribute to the egg. Uh, and uh, their opinion is still held by certain authorities nowadays, most notably of the uh, recently deceased Rabbi Zaman Nechemi Goldberg, Zetzal, is known to have subscribed to this opinion because uh, there's a Gemara in Yuvamos that speaks about a woman who converts in uh, while she's uh, pregnant and she's carrying twins and uh, she starts off when she conceives as a non-Jewish woman uh, and then in the middle of her uh, pregnancy she uh, immerses in a mikvah and thereby becomes Jewish and then the two twins are born so the Gemara says that they are considered to be brothers insofar as if either one 
would have relations later on with the brother's wife, they would be Chayip or Eishas uh, Ach. So we see that there is a relationship that is formed, but um, the woman who conceived them uh, is no longer uh, related to them. Or they all, at, the, at that point in time, um, they wouldn't really be brothers from her. They're not related to the, uh, to, to the father because they went through a, a conversion from whoever was the, the father responsible for their, their birth. So the only person who would cause them to be related to each other would be the mother. But when she started out, she wasn't Jewish. She only converted sort of to, in the, towards the end of the pregnancy. In the middle of the pregnancy, she became sort of the, call it the gestational carrier as opposed to the genetic egg of uh, a donor because that woman is no longer around. Uh, she was, that was a non-Jewish woman, so they're only related birth by virtue of the Jewish woman, so we see that we go after the gestational carrier, the woman who gave birth. Others, however, reject that raya. They say, well, maybe that's true if it's the same woman who started out, you know, as the woman who uh, finishes up. It's the same genetic uh, egg uh, uh, donor who's also the gestational carrier, so maybe we'll follow that logic, but if it's different people, so it's not necessarily a, a perfect raya. Um, so um, that the raya that, that they used to uh, rely upon um, it was one in uh, it was one that's based on Agatha. Uh, Rav Schwartz doesn't really go into all of the Agatic sources, but if you take a look in the supplemental uh, source sheets, so it talks uh, about how uh, when Rocco was uh, pregnant, uh, well, Leah and Rocco were, were both uh, pregnant, uh, and um, this is uh, at a point in time in which uh, uh, in which uh, Rocco gave birth to Yosef, but Leah knew. Uh, that this was going to uh, that there was going to be uh, sort of an eleven child, so to speak, and she was um, and she was nervous uh, she, that uh, she shouldn't. Uh, she said, "Shnei masar shibatim masidin lasei yakov." She shall yatsum imeni be'abam in ashvachos. There were already a, a total of ten. Im zezacher. If the one that I'm carrying right now, this is when she was pregnant with Dina, is going to be a zacher. So lote achosi rachel kachas ashvachos. It's going to turn out that, that at best, Rachel, they knew that they would only have a total of 12 sons between the four, uh, between the four wives. So Leah knew, among the four wives, so Leah knew that if this uh, 11th one would be a son, so at best, at best, Rachel would end up with one son and she would end up having a lower number than any of the other uh, wives. And Leah felt really, really bad about that. So she prayed and the embryo inside of her was apparently originally supposed to be a boy. It ended up being a girl. It ended up being Dina. And the one that was inside of um, uh, Rachel, so Rachel uh, ended up having, uh, having Yosef. Um, uh, so the Targum Yonah son says that what really happened is that there was a switcheroo uh, that uh, came about at that point in time. It says, Shemiyam and Kadam Hashem Susa Deleah. Kaddish Baruch Hu heard Leah's prayers. Vizchalifu b'ayad v'meyon b'avayayv Yosef ma'ad rocha v'dinah b'ma'ad aleyah. There was a switcheroo, and Yosef um, was um, who was originally um, going to uh, come out of uh, out of Leah was uh, switched to uh, the womb of Rachel, and Dina who started out in the womb of Rachel was switched to the womb of Leah. So this is a situation where you had one genetic mother, so to speak, you know, who was the one who conceived the child, and then you had a different birth mother. So who's the one that the, the child goes after? So we all know that in this particular case, it seems to have gone after the birth mother because Yosef was attributed to Rachel, and Odina was attributed to, to, um, to Leah. Um, so that would seem to be a pretty good, uh, seem to be a pretty good proof. 
except for the fact that, um, that there are other midrashim that sort of seem to go in the opposite direction. There's a Moshe of Zekanim, um, uh, which is a Dasekanim of the Bali Hatosos, the comments on uh, the verse uh, that speaks about Shob and Aknanis, uh, that uh, of, of all of the children of uh, Shimon, so one of them was called Shob and Aknanis. And the question is, what do you mean Shob and Aknanis? Um, so who is uh, the who is the Knanis? The Knanis, according to Midrashic interpretation, um, is a reference uh, to um, uh, to Dina because Dina was taken uh, captive by Shechem ben Hamor, and uh, she felt when she was liberated by her brothers, you know Shimon and Levi, that nobody will want to marry her because she was violated. So Shimon, according to the Midrash, made a promise: "Don't worry, I'll marry you." Now some interpret that to mean, "Don't worry, I'll marry you off." You know, like. Uh, like rabbis often will meet a woman in the street and say, oh yeah, I marry you. You know, it's kind of like a little embarrassing. You know, you know, a woman will say, you married me, Rabbi. No, I never married I married you off. Like I was the Masada Kedushin. So that's what it means that, you know, Shimon took a, an oath that he's going to marry her off. But the, but the Das Kenim understands, no, he really married her. How is it possible for him to have married her? So Das Kenim explains, because she wasn't really considered to be completely his sister, his Kodamat and Torah. So we're going to, we would allow him to marry his sister if they were only related from the father and not related from the mother because even though they both came out from Leah nonetheless since her pregnancy began with Rachel it was considered as if Shimon wasn't really a full-fledged sibling of, of Dina and that's why he was able to marry her so a number of the posts can point out if you look at the Midrashic interpretations, they're often contradictory with each other, the way in which they interpret the verses. So, in Lomdin Halacha, Min Hagodos. The bottom line is, Hagodos are, you know, good for, you know, Advar Torah. Um, they're good for Sheva Bachos, but they're not necessarily good in order to derive Halacha. We can't really learn from the Agodos. But uh, Rameir Arik and the others, they had another like, source that was not an Agadita source that they derived from as another possible indication that you follow the uh, birth mother as opposed to the genetic mother, and that's the Gemara in Sota, which talks about what if you do grafting, okay? You do grafting, and we're not talking about grafting babies into mothers, but we're talking about grafting branches onto each other. We know that a fruit tree, the first three years of the tree's growth, the fruit is prohibited as orla, right? It's prohibited as orla. But what if you would um, then take a small a branch from a yolda, from a young sapling tree, that's within the first three years, like the first year of its growth, and you graft it onto an older tree, and now fruit is going to grow from that. Is the tree, is the fruit going to have the halacha of the, the tree that was sort of the ultimate tree? Um, that was grafted upon so that it's not going to be orla because it's an older tree or do I look after the genetic tree so to speak you know the uh, the younger tree that was grafted upon the older tree the branch from the younger tree that was grafted upon the older tree so Yoda was Zikena so Amarabi Yabo this is um, source Gimel over here the supplementary sheets uh, we all uh, we, we all have today fortunately just uh, not to the um, not the chubas themselves although we have uh, as we said at the beginning a few copies uh, that are floating around uh, and maybe they will turn up at some point who knows if you graft a young branch onto an older tree 
But lo yalda b'sekena be'ein badzin orlo. So then we say, no, the yalda is considered to become batal, is considered to be, ah, there we go, you see? Baruch Hashem. Terem nikrav ani anev. Rabbi Bresta, thank you so much. You see, I have faith in you. I, I, I want you to know. I did not give, I was not, I was not, 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 not miyayish at all. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, so we say, but yalda b'sekena be'ein badzin orlo. That we say that the young sapling, which is now being grafted, upon the other tree loses its identity. So therefore the argument was uh, that uh, the egg that's coming from the genetic mother would lose its identity in, uh, the, uh, in the womb, of the, um, in the womb of, the, of the birth mother and you should make the same argument. However, more contemporary post can point to a Gemara in the Durham that seems to indicate um, exactly the opposite. If you take a look at, um, without going into all the Shaklavitaria, Everyone who did the Dafyomi already would be familiar, I assume, with the Shakla Vitaria. Get to the bottom line of Source Dalit, Amar Rabbi Yavo, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Again, Rabbi Yavo is in the picture. This time he's quoting Rabbi Yochanan. Yoda Shizivcha Vizikena Uva Peros. Different subject has just changed the scenario a little bit. If I take this young sapling and already had a fruit that was growing on it, and now I'm going to graft it onto the older tree, which already is not subject to the laws of Euler anymore because it's past three years old. Even though there are 200 times the measure of the original fruit that was inside, and we know that orla is normally bato b'masayim, nonetheless also, nonetheless it's treated as orla if it already had fruit growing. So therefore, Shlomo Amar and others said, what are you looking at that first Gemara in Soto? Look at the second Gemara in Dharam, because whenever you have the egg that is being implanted, the fetus that's being implanted into the womb of the gestational carrier, it already has fruit. It already has fruit. I already have like an embryo. This guy, I already have a fertilized egg that's being put inside the womb, a fertilized egg. I don't care how much bigger you get, 200, it probably won't get 200 times bigger, but even if it got 200 times bigger over the course of the pregnancy, it should still be attributable to the uh, genetic mother. Then, of course, you have uh, opinions like Rabbi Bleich who say, um, uh, that it could be both, like that could be another uh, uh, rebuttal to the proof brought by Rizal and Chaim Goldberg. Yeah, sure, they're, you know, the twins are related to the gestational mother after her conversion, but who says they're not also related on some level to the original genetic mother? You could potentially have two mothers. Everyone remembers the book, Are You My Mother, You My Mother, you know, right? So let's say, you know, maybe the answer could be more than one answer. So you could have multiple mothers uh, potentially. So uh, Schwartz was very fond, I think I've mentioned this in the past, he was very fond, for whatever reason, of, of Mayor Arik, the Imre Yoshi. He liked this Jewess very much. So whenever I would speak to Rav Schwartz about this issue, my sense, my sense with that with Rav Schwartz, you know, saying anything definitive on the subject, but the general sense that I got when I spoke to him about this issue was that he was more inclined towards the position of the Imre to say that the gestational mother, who's the carrier of the baby and gives birth to the baby, really should be considered to be the halakhic mother of the baby. I saw recently Yochumir Fried came out with a book on Geirus, where one of the hot topics in Geirus nowadays, which Rav Schwartz, I don't think, really had a chance to address, but it's an issue which many of the Bati did, are grappling with um, right now is uh, the uh, case of the surrogate child um, who is born and one of the mothers happens not to be Jewish. Either the genetic mother who contributed the egg or the birth mother who carried the uh, the fetus uh, to term and gave birth uh, to the child. One of them is not Jewish. One of them is Jewish. One of them is not Jewish. It's just a, a regular situation 
of a surrogacy where you have a couple trying to give birth and the, 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 and, and the, the wife can either be a carrier or a contributor of the genetic egg, but not both. And they use a non-Jewish woman um, to do the other half of the job. So the general consensus, which really uh, Schwartz makes reference to over here, if you look about seven lines down, three words before the end of the line, maybe six lines that's down, Mikol Makam Yesh Mechavim Shehoru, he said that despite the fact that Rav Meir, Rav Rick, and Rav Binyam Cohen Weiss, based on the proof from the Gemara Sota and so forth, came to uh, the conclusion that it's the, the birth mother, the, uh, uh, the gestational carrier, who's considered the halachic mother, that you should be megayah the blood of misopic. Because what was the case here? The case here was that case. The genetic contributor of the egg, in this case of a man and woman, or a husband and wife, Jewish husband and wife, were married to each other, the genetic egg donor was not Jewish, and the uh, and, and the woman you know who carried the baby to born to, to term to be born was uh, the uh, wife uh, of the, this couple and uh, the and Rav Schwartz says that really he would start off holding like a mayor Rick but because there are other opinions so the mechabim would say you should do the conversion misafik uh, he says that's what was done the they gave birth to a boy and the boy was converted to chumah so the big question that is raised with Bhatti Din nowadays is what if the couple is not so firm? What if the couple is not so firm? Generally speaking, when we convert a young child, right, a child who's adopted by a couple or something like that, that we will do a conversion based on the Bezdin making an assessment that it's a zuchus, that it's considered to be a, an unmitigated benefit for the child to be brought into the Jewish tradition, to be raised by these Jewish parents, and how do you determine if it's a zuchus? It's based on the principle of Zach and the Adam that you determine that they're going to to raise the child in accordance with Jewish values and uh, Jewish education, um, that they're going to bring up the child in a Torah-observant Orthodox household. So if the family is not prepared to send the child to Orthodox schools or to uh, live a Shema Shabbos lifestyle, to affiliate with an Orthodox Shul, so most Batidin are not going to perform the conversion because they say, we don't think the conversion is going to be valid under those uh, circumstances because it's not clearly going to be a Zuchus for the child to be Jewish. Because we know that there were certain posts when we're leaning about this, it's always a zuchus to be Jewish if the child learns what to do. So it's a big zuchus. It doesn't learn what the Jews to do. So the child's not going to be punished, you know, for things that the child doesn't know about. And whatever the child does know about, they'll get a reward for a mitzvah. But Moshe Feinstein was a little bit inclined towards that position. But most of the postkims say no. Like the Sridiyashin, others, um, that, of course, many postkims said it has to be an absolute zuchus for the child that the child's going to be raised in an orthodox home and an orthodox atmosphere in order for the conversion to be valid altogether. So what do you do in this situation? A couple comes to you and they're not 100% orthodox, but there's a 50% chance that the child is really Jewish already. According to half of the post game, the child is uh, you know Jewish if uh, the, the genetic mother is Jewish. And according to 50% of the post game, the child is Jewish if the birth mother is Jewish. And here... Um, it, it could be, you know, this way, it could be that way. You don't know. So some uh, some modern authorities made the suggestion that this person, this poor child is betwixt and between. 
And in order to save them from being in a perpetual state of limbo, where at least going to be a subject Jew, it's always going to be a zuchus. It'll always be a, a zuchus to convert them to Judaism, even if the parents are not so observant. So I've discussed this issue with Professor Shechter Shlita on a number of occasions, and he sort of carved out the policy, shall we say, for the GPS system. That's the system of conversion courts um, that is under the auspices of the Rabbinical Council of America and the Betin of America, uh, of which the Chicago Rabbinical Council, Betin, is part of that network of what we call the GPS system, Geirus policies and standards, or you know something boring like that. Um, and uh, and I serve as uh, the director of uh, the or the chairman of the GPS committee for the Rabbinical Council of America. You can thank Rabbi Matanki for that. Um, and um, the uh, and Rav Shechter feels very, very strongly uh, that once you hold that michumma as a matter of stringency, you need to do a conversion, then it has to follow all of the guidelines and the standards of a good conversion. So you can't do it unless uh, these, this family is uh, impeccably orthodox. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, what's the point of doing a gear of the chumra if it's not going to be valid anyway? But it's so that's not necessarily that, a conversion because he may be Jewish already. Right, but he says that since, uh, so, so then you're still left with your suffix. He says that if you're going to do the conversion and you haven't met all the standards, so you haven't uh, raised the bar in any way, just like you had a suffix beforehand, there's a 50% chance that the child is Jewish. You still have the suffix because it's not going to be any more value. You're not going to get it from 50% to like 60% or 8, you know, or to 100%. Unless it's a 100% valid conversion. And when I, I looked at this, the new Safer on Geir is a very entertaining Safer. Very entertaining. Safer. Agree or disagree with like, you know, the different rulings. It's a very entertaining Safer by Rabbi Yerachmiel Friedschlita um, from, from Dallas. Just put out a new Safer called Emes Ritzedek on, on Geiris, And he talks about this issue. as a shoe by Rabbi Moshe Sternbach on this issue. She seems to be more inclined to say that you would bobble the birth mother like Rabbi Meir Rik, But basically comes to the conclusion. It's a Suffolk. That's how Rabbi Shlomo Rabbi Yashiv ruled that it's basically a suffix and therefore we always do a gilachum. And once you're doing a gilachum, he also writes in his safer that you should follow all the highest standards in order to make sure that it's 100% kosher. So, in this particular case, to make a long story short, or to finish making a short story long, Rabbi Schwartz said that they did a gear. And uh, therefore, the child is 100% Jewish. Presumably, it satisfied all the standards of Gia that were absolutely necessary. But now the question is, the husband, in this particular case, was a Kohen. So now I have a big suffix, because if I say that I follow the wife, um, I, I follow, excuse me, and, and in terms of, because she was the gestational carrier, and she's the real halachic mother, so then we just go straight from the, the, the father to the child. So the child's 100% Jewish, and the child is a Kohen. But on the other hand, if I really needed to do a, a gear, uh, so then the child is not related to the father at all. The child was a non-Jew, and the child needed to be converted, and now the child is just a regular gear, who clearly is not treated as a Kohen or a Levi um, in any uh, way, shape, or form. So what do I do in this particular case? He brings from various posts, Kim that let's say I had a case of artificial insemination where it wasn't a child who was conceived from a regular um, a intimate relationship between a husband and wife, but it was a child that was conceived through some sort of an IVF procedure or something like that. Um, so there are plenty of posts who say that the child would still be treated 
as a being the direct child of uh, the father. It's a little bit of a machlokis. Can you fulfill pruabu this way? And many poskim say no. And this is how Rav Schwartz is inclined to say as well. Then in such a case, if the child is indubitably Jewish, the child follows the father who contributed the zera. And the father was a kohen, the child will be a kohen. The father was a labor, the child should be a labor. So what are you doing in this case? So Schwartz creatively, Schwartz was actually very creative. Um, that people, I mean, people realize that you know, Schwartz was brilliant in many ways, but he was also just a very creative, um, resourceful mind in terms of how he would fashion uh, solutions. So, and he would also draw very interesting analogies. He said, well, we have another uh, paradigm of this sort of case where we don't know quite what the status of uh, the uh, child is in terms of kahuna, okay? Not in terms of whether the child is Jewish or not Jewish, but in terms of whether the child is a valid coin or not a valid coin. What is that case? We discussed this a couple of years ago. Uh, some of you who were here at the time may have remembered, but we have a uh, halacha regarding um, what happens when a Jewish woman has relations with a non-Jewish man. Um, so what's, and they have a daughter. So what's the status of that daughter? Is that daughter allowed to marry a coin or not allowed to marry a coin? It's a whole big discussion in the Gemara and Yabamos. And the conclusion is a little bit unclear. It starts out seeing, indicating the child is Pogum Laguna. Maybe the child um, is of blood. Maybe the child can't marry a coin. And then by the end of the sugya, it kind of sounds a little bit like maybe the child can't marry a coin. It's not entirely clear what the maskan of the sugi is. The Ramam seems to indicate this daughter can marry a Kohen. And the Ramban says, no, the child shouldn't marry a Kohen. The, child should, the daughter shouldn't marry a Kohen because it's like a suffix. It's a suffix what the situation is going to be. Um, and uh, therefore we say that they really shouldn't get married. If they do get married, so we pass in Ein Motsim other they can remain married. But this, what does that mean they can remain married? Does that mean, oh, it's perfectly legitimate and now the Kohen married this daughter of the Jewish woman and the non-Jewish man. Now, now this Kohen and this woman, this daughter, they have a child. They have a child who's a son. What's his status? We say, well, since the couple, the parents didn't have to get divorced, I guess it was okay after all, and the child is a Kohen, and do we say, no, we're not going to force them to get divorced, but they really shouldn't have gotten married in the first place, and that this child is a Kohen. The child is really a violated Kohen, because it really was not a permissible relationship to begin with. So it says the Sri um, Deyesh of uh, Jacob Weinberg, quoted by um, Rosh Schwartz, he says that um, uh, because of the fact that it's not entirely clear what the status of the child is, we say that um, the child should not dochen. The child should not dochen because it might be a brachal of atala. It happens of Yaakov Braish, Shepaskin, let the child dochen, it's not going to be the end of the world. Says the child, but he says the child should not dochen and the child should not be metami lemesim because maybe the child really is a Kohen, in which case it would be an issa for the child to go to a cemetery. So the child can't go to a cemetery. Um, and the child also has to be careful to only marry women who are permissible to marry a Kohen. The one thing that we're going to allow, the one privilege that we're going to confer upon this child, because we're not going to lose anything in terms of a brachal of Adala, we'll let him get the first aliyah. We'll get, let him get the first aliyah. That will do. You know, maybe dochening, uh, we're not so sure about. Maybe he shouldn't be making the bracha, but first aliyah, okay. So, you know, anybody get... Uh, I hear, I'm told, I've never seen this in practice, but people tell me that if... I happen to be a coin, that if there is no coin in show, they actually call up somebody who's not a coin for the first aliyah. That, that, I've been told that. I've never, ever seen it happen. I've never seen it happen. So I'm, but, but I'm told that there's such a thing. So therefore, it wouldn't be at the end of the world if this child would, um, would get an aliyah. So that's, so that's what Schwartz says. So we're going to analogize from there. And this is how, it's very interesting. I don't know whatever happened to this child. This child was when in 2006. The child will now be around, I don't know, 17 years old or so. Um, but 
but he says that that's how you should handle this job. It was written actually Taka in. Look at this. It was written Chop Teshvat Tavshin Sabbath. Well, Mamish was written seventeen years ago. You know, in a few hours. Um, uh, so he says that that's what uh, you should do with this uh, with this child is uh, let the child have the aliyah of the kind, but not tochen, and otherwise be subject to uh, the restrictions of a kind. No, uh, uh, okay, if, yes. If the child had been a girl, would she have been allowed to marry a kohen after this girl's that's a, that, that would be a similar child. It would be a similar child. This child now would be a daughter. Do we say that this child now is treated, this grandchild, you know, of the original match, of the original union, uh, would we say that uh, she's a suffix halala and therefore she shouldn't marry a Kohen? It would be a similar child. Presumably, Rav Schwartz would have said that uh, she shouldn't marry a Kohen. I have a question of whether or not the one who had the year of Chumrah Oh, not, not not the case of the three days. In other words, the, the one I'm talking about the girl, the, the child who had the gear of the chumrah. Ah, the ch- yes. So the one who had the gear, gear of the chumrah. So if it would be, if, if, let's say that it would have been a daughter, she would have been a baskoin. A baskoin can marry anybody anyway. There are no restrictions with respect to a baskoin. There are no restrictions. No, but a coin can't marry a gioret. If, if she's a gioret, then she can't marry a coin. Oh, okay, so that's a different story. So, that's right. So, in terms of uh, her restrictions as a Gioris, we would treat her as a Suffolk Gioris, and we would say that if uh, whatever is the din of a Suffolk Gioris, a Suffolk Gioris presumably should not marry a coin. There's a question as to whether, there seems to be a Rashi that indicates that if somebody converts less than the age of three years, it may be they're only a Surah Lakoin Midrabana. So then maybe we have a situation here where it's a Suffolk Durabana. Was it something to Rabbanan? So maybe ah. it's what to discuss. But that's a, that's a question. Some say no, it's not a Rabbanan. Or, we, or that Rashi was misunderstood, or even if that's what Rashi meant, maybe we don't hold like that Rashi. Maybe it's a Deraisa, but maybe it's a Dibri Kabbalah. Then there's the question, maybe it's based on a Pasuk in Yecheskel as opposed to the Isser Zona. It's based on the Pasuk in Yecheskel. So does that mean that I would go the Kula if there would be a Suffolk based on Dibri Kabbalah? Do I say Suffolk Dibri Kabbalah Lakula only if it's a Mamish Rabbanan Lakula? So it's a whole story. So it's actually a very, very good question. It's a very good question. And the answer is that it's unclear, but there might potentially be room for leniency. There might be even more room for leniency depending on which side of the equation it is. Like, for example, like, let's say that you're of the opinion, you're a posik, and you're of the opinion that, that really the genetic mother is the real, you know, halakhic mother. More and more poskim are coming around to that position nowadays. It certainly is the opinion of Shlomo Amar. It was apparently the opinion of Baron Lichtenstein, uh, uh, and uh, is um, reputedly was the position of Rabbi Bayu Yosef as well. Um, so then in this particular case, you might say, well, here the gear was really Mekar Adin, right? Here the gear was really Mekar Adin. On the other hand, if you hold that, no, really, it's the gestational mother who's really the halachic mother and we're just being machmir for, you know, a few um, uh, other shitos uh, to be on the safe side, like the uh, like the uh, the presentation of Rav Schwartz's tshuva sounds like a little bit, so maybe you'd be more sympathetic to say, well, in that Suffolk type of situation, there'd be more room to be makel. You know, so maybe it really depends on your perspective. But it's, it's a very, very good question. So on the subject of defining somebody as a Kohen, that leads us to the next tshuva of Rav Schwartz, which is a tshuva about somebody, this is also written, interestingly, Almost exactly the same time. This tshuva was said by Rav Schwartz. It was a productive month in terms of writing tshuvas. Shvat of Tavshin Samakbab, about 10 days earlier, where he wrote this, uh, another tshuva about a person's mama to Kohen, whether uh, a person is considered like a Kohen and I grew up in a family that was completely not Shomim Mitzvos. They didn't keep Mitzvos at all. 
and now this person finds out from his first cousin once removed, who is a woman, meaning this woman is the first cousin of his father. She and his father um, had two um, uh, had fathers who were brothers to each other. Okay, they both had fathers who were brothers to each other, who represented the paternal grandfather of this fellow and uh, the great uncle of uh, this fellow. Okay, so those those two were brothers. This fellow, okay, this young Bachar, has no idea of anybody in his family being a Kohen because nobody was Shomei Mitzvahs. He was not a Shomei Mitzvahs. His father was not a Shomei Mitzvahs. His grandpa was not a Shomei Mitzvahs. But his, the first cousin of his father, who was the daughter of uh, this brother of his grandfather, um, comes up and says, Oh, I know for a fact that you are a Kohen because my father was a Kohen and my father was your grandfather's brother. Um, ergo, um, since you are the product of that uh, grandfather's son, um, you must be a Kohen as well. And not only that, she says, I know this because when I had a child, I knew not to, this daughter said, I knew she didn't marry a Kohen or a lady. She married a Yisrael, but she knew she was a Bas Kohen, so she didn't do a Pidyon Abed with respect to her son because she was a Bas Kohen. That's one of the ways that we determine that people really know what it means. Like somebody comes to us and says, oh, I'm a lady. Um, and they're not observant at all. And we are not sure, like, you know, if it's a get, whether we're going to write a lady on the get, because if we write it and it turns out to be wrong, so the entire get could be invalid. So we ask questions, how do you know you're a lady? Like a woman says, I come from my father was a lady. So if the woman says, yeah, because I know because I didn't do a pig and a bane on my son. So then that's a pretty good indication that the person knows what it means uh, to be a lady and that it has some sort of an import. So those are the types of questions that we ask. You say, oh yeah, I remember my father, you know, washing the hands of the Kohanim, you know, for dukening. So those are, those are the types of indications. So she, here she gave the indication with respect to, to Pidyon Abay. Not only that, but she found a copy of the Ksuva of her father and her mother from the Rabbanuta Rashid of Haifa, in which it said explicitly on the Ksuva that her father was a coin. So she remembers her father being a coin. She has a Ksuva from the Rabbanuta Rashid, no less, that says that her father was a coin, and she remembers not doing opinion of Bain when she had a firstborn son because of the fact that she was a Bas coin. So the question that Rav Schwartz had to deal with it, but is what do we do? We know that Rav Moshe and in a number of places that nowadays if you come from a family where there's no tradition of a kahuna, even though you find out, like the father or grandfather tells you, like when you're 20 years old, but nobody was from, so you don't have to believe them. You don't have to rely upon them. We assume that they have no namanus with respect to being a Kohen. Here, nobody was really observant. On the other hand, there was a Niu Kahuna. There was certainly this branch of the family where they knew that they were Kohanim, and if they were Kohanim, it would follow that this fellow would be a Kohen as well. So he says, well, we have to, you know, figure out what is um, the uh, reliability or the credibility of this first cousin once removed, who Rav Schwartz points out was not herself a Shomeris Mitzvos. Um, uh, so he says that there, there is a halacha in Shulchan Arach and Ebenezer, Simon Gimel, that says that we rely upon Shtaros in order to consider somebody to be a Kohen. There's a, there's a Shtar that says uh, that on such and such date this fellow, the Kohen, borrowed money from so-and-so. So now we know, so even though the Adim were really only testifying about the transaction, we say that's good enough to assume that this person is a Kohen, at least in terms of allowing this person to dochen. Do we say that they're a Kohen for yuxin purposes, that we're going to let them do a vodah on the Mizbeach? No, we're not going to go that far, but at least in terms of saying that this person should be allowed to dochen, that's going to be good enough. That's generally what you know we're relying upon uh, nowadays. 
Then he says that um, the uh, that uh, there's a little bit of a question about this because aksuva basically has the same import according to the halacha as an eid echad. If you had one witness, they would testify. Okay, I mean, not aksuva, a star. Okay, a star. We'll get to you know the aksuva in a second. If I had a star, so he says, what if I have an eid echad that testifies that a person's father was a kohen? We don't rely upon that testimony with respect to the son because we say that's good for the father. Or if I had two aid him for the father, that would be good for the son. If it's only one aid. Okay, so we'll rely on that testimony to allow the father to dokken and all that, but maybe, as far as the son is concerned, maybe he's a chol. Maybe the father had relations with a woman who was prohibited to a kohen, and the son and the, and the, son and the father is a chol. We're not going to rely upon an eight echad with respect to the next, um, the next generation. Um, so, so Rav Schwartz um, quotes uh, the, the, um, uh, from, uh, the, uh, from the Beis Shmuel and from uh, the uh, Shulchan Aruch in Simon Gimel and Emin Ebenezer, and he says that it appears that Shtaros are basically treated as having the same import as an Echad. So, therefore, that wouldn't be good with respect to the child, even though we might have a testimony um, with respect to the child's grandfather. Um, so he said, on the other hand, it could be that we can be a little bit creative over here. We can ask the first cousin once removed to testify with respect to the, um, her younger cousin as opposed to testifying about her older cousin, as opposed, or, 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 as opposed to testifying about her father. She was testifying about her father, so we can just coach her a little bit. We can say, well, um, in order for a person to be a Kohen, so if their grandfather is a Kohen and their father is a Kohen, then they're a Kohen, so are you prepared to testify regarding your younger cousin? So Schwartz like suggests, maybe we can coach her a little bit, but then he said, ah, I don't know if that coaching really works, and anyway, she's done a Shemaris Mitzvah, so Schwartz says, I'm relying upon something else. This was very interesting. Schwartz had tremendous amount of respect for kind of like, call them official governmental documents. He says, it's one thing, if I have a star that's like a contract, a loan contract, and some witnesses sign on the bottom, it says, you know, uh, Harvey Cohn uh, borrowed money from Yisrael Goldstein. So, okay, so Harvey Cohn HaKohen. Um, so uh, maybe that has like limited probative value because they're really not, not so focused on whether Harvey Cohen is really a coin and not a coin, just the fact that he borrowed money. But if I have a ksuba from a very respected rav, like the rav Hayir, um, that writes uh, that a particular person is a Kohen when he's marrying them off, so there's a presumption then that there was a very high level of research and investigation that must have been performed. You know, Rav Schwartz said generally, that's a, if you look at the second page of the Chuva, 94, page 94 in the materials, so he quotes, uh, Rav Schwartz kind of felt that, that you know, the principle of Bezdin Basa Bezdin Lodaiki, like the Gemara in Baba Basa talks about, if you have something that comes from a distinguished Bezdin, so he felt that has a value, that has a presumption of a validity. So he quotes from the Yaskiel Abdi, right, um, of Ezra Daya, who writes that if uh, you had a situation, and this is sort of the reverse side of the coin, there's a person who comes and he wants to marry a woman who's prohibited to a coin. He wants to marry, um, for example, a Grusha, and he comes from another country, and he says, uh, and we know he's Jewish, but we don't know whether he's a Kohen, a Levi, or Yisrael, but he says, I am not a Kohen. So the question is, do you believe this person um, to testify that he's not a Kohen to marry a Grusha? Does he have to bring proof 
that he's known as somebody who's not a Kohen? A very fascinating question. And actually, there's a form that they have in Eretz Yisrael. If somebody wants to marry a Grusha or a Gyos, they have to bring some sort of a document saying from their Rava year, saying, I know this person, I know them not to be a Kohen. They actually have such a form. So he writes over here in uh, his uh, Shaila, he says that um, uh, this is something I've asked the Mesadri Rishim and Yisuin, those who perform weddings, what do they do? The Amushim Sholim Alakon Kohen Olot. They ask everybody was the Kohen or not. Umasrichan also Lahavi Edim Laamis Trarav. Then they require them to bring witnesses in order to prove their position. Kederak Shinog and Lishom and Penuyim. You know, it's just like they have to prove that they're single and they're eligible to be married. Bein Lem Shim Keshim Adamachir. So he says the same thing. So he says, and if there is nobody who um, of the people of the city where this person came from who recognizes him, so he says, then Shochim Meharab Disham. Then we go to the Rava here. We go to the rabbi of the city, uh, and he does the beer. And once the rab does the beer, so we rely upon that beer. So it says Rosh Schwartz in the Lushan of this Yaskil Abdi, Rosh Schwartz says that if you have the rab a year, like the rab there, the Rabbinuta Rashid of Haifa, that made some sort of investigation, they were comfortable writing on the Ksuba that the person was actually a Kohen. So he thinks that that's actually stronger than the value that we would give you a typical shtar. He says, Aksuba that was done by a respected love has a higher degree of value and reliability. And therefore, even though this fellow Nebani came from a completely non-observant family, he never knew that he was a Kohen. There was no practice of Kohen in his immediate family. Nonetheless, the Schwartz Paschal and this fellow should treat himself going forward 100% like a Kohen. Bein Lekula, Bein Lechumra should treat himself 100% like a Kohen. I'm not sure that's the approach that is followed by all contemporary local authorities, but Schwartz would give a lot of value to you know what was written in Aksuba, particularly if it was written um, by a Rav who was known to be a respected Orthodox Rav who was, had a, a mantle of responsibility um, such as a Rav of the Rabbanuta Rashid to conduct a certain amount of investigation. I'm not sure that his trust in um, uh, the thoroughness of every single Rav in every rabbinic position is always borne out. To be perfectly honest, based on my own experience, but I do value the fact um, that this is the way it should be. And Schwartz very much felt that he should act in a way towards others in which he encouraged them to be the way that they should be. It's like Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin writes that this uh, the, uh, the the halacha based on Besedek Tishmot Amisecha every dad is kolodim lekap schus. He's always supposed to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. He says it's not because they always deserve the benefit of the doubt. He says it's because if you act this way, so people will realize, oh, you know, I really get my get, I, I really need to get my act together because there are these uh, very high uh, expectations that are being you know and 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 very you know virtuous assumptions that are being made about me. So I better you know uh, start Start uh, acting in accordance um, with uh, these um, uh, with these assumptions and the trust that's being placed in me. Uh, yes, Larry. Well, but you still would have to investigate whether there was an issue with the with the father. We said the grandfather we've proved is a Cohen, maybe, but there's still an issue from there. It's very interesting because he doesn't dwell on that, you know, per se. Presumably, uh, Rav, um, Rav Schwartz uh, was um, also, even though he doesn't really talk about it. In the uh, in the tshuva itself, but presumably he did, you know, his own biror just uh, with uh, this fellow who came to him. Um, in terms of just asking him the question of what type of a woman did your father marry uh, to uh, ensure that he not be a chol, because you're 100 percent right. If the father would have married a gioris or or, or some, you know, a grusha, so. 
then all bets uh, all bets would be off. Now again, uh, it's become you know more and more of a problem over time as people have become more promiscuous, and certainly if a woman comes from a non-observant background, sometimes there's more of an assumption that she went to college, she had relations with lots of people, she may have had relations with non-Jews. But Yashiv has a tshuva in which he actually says, if a woman went to a university, and then she's, and she says, I had relations with somebody, but that person was Jewish, you actually believe her. Well, Yashu actually says he do believe her. Others uh, seem to be a, a little bit more circumspect, but presumably, but that's a good point. Presumably, you know that um, that, that Rishi of Akiva would have had to have been done as well. It's also Rabbi Schwartz also not just on other rabbonim, specifically with Rabbi Nutarashit, he had uh, above and beyond the level of respect and trust. He would have to sharing and things like that. Yes, I think that's true. I think that the fact that this was Rabbanut Rashid of Haifa that had you know special significance to um, to Rav Schwartz for sure. Yes. So different something that you never have to go through is what, what I go through because I do so many levias that I'm always asking for copies of Ksuvos. I'm asking for pictures from cemeteries to look at the matzevos. So that's because I want to make sure that the matzevo, this person is right who just died, and when they want me to do the words, but and then I said kalmoi properly. But in this case, do we go back to matzevos from generations to look to to prove this? Sometimes we do. You know, but Moshe has some shuvas in which he says that you can't necessarily derive from matzevo like you could have uh, some sort of a, a a cemetery where they saw the person's name was Katz or Cohen or Kagan. They just assumed that they were a Cohen and they put up uh, the Kohen fingers on top of the Mitzvah, but he says that if there wasn't any other evidence in the family that the person was uh, was a Kohen, uh, the mere fact that you find that on a Mitzvah is not really enough to conclude that the person should be a Kohen. Now, others, right, well, it depends on the Mitzvah, it depends on the cemetery. Um, if a cemetery is more reliable, and let's say everybody in the family has Kohen and has the Kohen fingers on them, so maybe that's, uh, that's more of a right, it's more of an indication. So a bunch of Weiss is a Shuba like that, and um, of Shlomo Omar is a, a recent shuvah like that as well. So it really is more case by case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next shuvah, which is Simon Tess, being in Kohen and Nasa Yisrof, is the Nakhosh Shavotzali's Gaya. This is an old, uh, very well tread sugya of a Kohen, who, a woman is converting, but after she converts, she wants to marry a Kohen. So uh, this is uh, something that we don't allow. We don't allow. I mean, I had a, a couple in my office a number of years ago when Rav Schwartz was uh, still uh, w- w- was still alive, and I think was still um, uh, maybe even uh, coming into the office before his stroke. I don't remember the exact timing. And uh, they w- were they were married, and uh, they uh, and the woman was not Jewish, the man was Jewish, and she very much wanted to convert, but the man was unambiguously, unassailably a Kohen without any question whatsoever regarding his Kohen yichus. And I told them, look, I feel, you know, very bad about this, but uh, I, I can't, you know, we can't do it, even if she's a 100% sincere convert and she learns everything she needs to learn and she observes everything she needs to observe, if she's going to convert for the purpose of marrying a Kohen, so then we're not going to be able to perform the conversion. And this is an old sugya, old question that was originally dealt with by uh, David Sri Hoffman in the Malami Law. Well, uh, and he, uh, he was makele about it, um, and he was Mako because he was afraid otherwise we're going to lose them entirely. Um, and uh, he asked the question, but what about the fact that, that if a person says, 
I'm the Kabbal, you know, all the Tariq mitzvahs, chutz midavar echad, the Gemara and Bechorah says, Eim Kabbal and also, you can't accept such a person because then that's a shear, it is an exclusion of the Tariq mitzvahs. You're not going to have a Kabbal, so you know, it wouldn't have worked. In Harasinai, we would have said, Nasev and Ishmael, chutz midavar echad. You know, so that is, then we wouldn't have gotten the Torah. It has to be a complete package of Nasev and Ishmael, all the 630 mitzvahs. So he says, well, if we don't ask her explicitly whether she's planning to marry the Kohen, so maybe it's Dvar Meshavalet. Another said, what are you talking about? We know exactly what's going on. And then he says, well, maybe we can, it's only like an Isser. It's a prohibition on the Bezin to accept somebody like that, uh, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. And maybe we suspend the prohibition when it's for the good of this fellow that he won't be living with a non-Jewish woman anymore. Uh, so we'll convert her to Judaism and we can overlook uh, that uh, prohibition of Chutzmi Dabarecha. And others say it's not a prohibition. It's just that it doesn't work. The Geras is not going to work. That's what Ramosha Feinstein and others said. The Geras is simply not going to work. So this opinion of Lalami Lolo has not generally been accepted, but he went even a step further. He said, well... There's an opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam says, is in Hilchasi Suribia, that whenever a Kohen is not allowed to marry like a certain woman, like a Gusha, Gioris, a Maso, a Zona, so the prohibition mostly goes into effect. Uh, in terms of it being a chi of Malkus that we would give lashes in the days when we gave lashes, when it's derakidushin, when they're actually married to each other. So seriously, he said, have her convert, and they'll live with each other, they just won't get married. He said, whoa! Uh, how is that okay? So he said, well, you know, normally we don't allow pilagshus, uh, we don't allow a person to have a concubine, in this case we'll allow it, uh, so maybe this won't be as bad. So it's just uh, the whole thing, it just uh, seems uh, completely uh, out of whack. But uh, that was the suggestion that Malam and the Hoel made. Not surprisingly, everybody disagreed with him. So in terms of the everybody, so Schwartz does uh, a beautiful job over here in this Shuvah to Rabbi Daniel Epstein, Los Angeles, um, uh, uh, but giving you a short synopsis of like everybody. So he starts with Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Alevi Herzog, who in his Shuvahs in Hechel Yitzchak uh, says that uh, even though maybe you can argue, he gives a Malam Yitzchus, maybe you can argue that she intends when she converts, she's really going to keep this mitzvah. And then after she converts, she says, oh, I can't do it. I really was going to try to do it. I was going to try to hold out, but I love this guy so much, I'm going to have to marry him. So he says, oh, so maybe that's just the teobon. She just gave in to her temptations, but it's not necessarily a defect in the Kabbalah so misses. But he says, you know what? We can't be makele about this sort of thing. He quotes in the Baal HaKedur of Yitzchak Arama, it's a famous comment, you know, there was one kahal where everybody was incredibly promiscuous, licentious, they were committing all kinds of znus, and in addition to that, the women weren't going to the mikvah. So he said, why don't we make a mikvah for zonos? We'll make a special mikvah for harlots, for prostitutes, and this way, at least people won't be over on the isser of, you know, nida, um, they'll just be over on the isser of being with zonos. Uh, so, uh, so, 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 Karama said, if a bezdin, if a kahal, a community is going to make such an enactment, you know, it's one thing for one person privately to figure out a way to minimize the Rebeiro. Instead of doing a giant Rebeiro, I'll do like a small Rebeiro. But to have an official community enactment of rabbinic imprimatur over uh, doing uh, some sort of an Rebeiro, he says that's the worst possible thing. That's a desecration of God's name um, and it's a desecration of the Torah. So he says in that sense, if we would allow for this type of a conversion, a woman converts and she's not going to get married to the fellow, just live with the fellow, he says, even if you could somehow make some sort of an argument about it, it looks like a complete desecration of 
the Torah. And also, whatever children they have, marriage or not marriage, the children are definitely going to be kolol, and that doesn't require them to be married. So therefore, he says, let's not create that type of situation. Ravadi Yosef, also quoted by Rosh Schwartz, um, comes to the same sort of conclusion, but he adds an important, um, an important wrinkle, important, you know, uh, footnote. Um, and this is really sort of the important part of this chuva, which is, he says, you know what? You can convert the uh, the mother, but let's say you can't convert the wife. Let's say she's also a mother. They already had children together. They already had children together. So what about the children? He wants to you know convert the wife and build a Jewish family that is living in the Orthodox community according to Torah values. So the children are not necessarily doing anything wrong. Can you convert the children without the mother? Normally. We don't convert children without converting the mother as well, because we say we can't really, it's not going to be a suchus for them to go up in a home with one Jewish parent and one non-Jewish parent. But if, in all other respects, they're going to be orthodox. It says to Rabbi Yosef, he says, no, I think, convert the children as long as the mother agrees. And he quotes Ben Sion who of course is very commonly quoted for the proposition that you could be makol a little bit with respect to not requiring a full-fledged Kabbalah so mitzvahs in order to save people from intermarriage and the like. And Rav Yitzchak Yosef, you know, actually writes, interestingly, in his country is Klali Hagia, Rav Yitzchak Yosef is the Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, said, you know, if you look really closely at the Chewis of Ben Sion Ozil, though he's like really famous for saying this, I didn't actually find him saying this anywhere. And I, and, and I made an effort, I look closely at the Chewis that are frequently quoted, and I have to admit, I, I'm not so sure that he says it either. What he actually says is you could be more mako with respect to the children. When it comes to the conversion of the children, you could be more mako in order to save them from a total uh, assimilation because of the fact that their fathers are Jewish, they're Zeri Yisrael. So he says it's a mitzvah to keep them within the fold, even in a situation where we're not going to be able to convert the mother. But he doesn't say be mako about converting the mother. The mother would have to marry Christ. He says, no, you should convince the father to divorce the mother that this woman, because she's not Jewish, we're not going to be able to convert her to Judaism. We should get rid of her. And now let's try to figure out, you know, how to help the children. And that's, that's, that's basically what he says. So I saw a case like this. We had a case where it was in St. Louis, actually, where um, there was a man living with a woman. She had undergone a conservative conversion because the conservative um, rabbis were more comfortable performing a conversion under these circumstances. Not a big chiddush over there. Um, but they wanted to be full-fledged members of the Orthodox community. They wanted the children to be able to convert Orthodox. So they came to uh, the Bezdin and they asked if we could perform the conversion. And Rav Schwartz said, we can't perform the conversion. He actually, I think at the time, there was a shayla that was written to uh, the Eretz Chemda Kolel. Uh, they put out their chuvas from Mareya Bazak, and they actually published this chuva as to like what their opinion would be about this situation. Um, but they all came to the conclusion, or Schwartz independently came to the conclusion. In this case, where the family was basically living an observant life, it was because of a technical detail, a technical detail called halacha, that they could not uh, convert uh, the mother because, of the, uh, because uh, she was married to a man who was unambiguously a Kohen, um, but uh, since the children were all being sent to yeshiva schools uh, in the neighborhood, they were setting up the house in a way where they wouldn't have bishalakum, where the fires would always be lit by the father, figure out a way not to run into any of the problems over the fact that the mother was not considered halakhically, the conversion wasn't recognized, she wasn't halakhically considered to be Jewish, um, and uh, go to a conversion with respect to the children. And that was also the hurrah that was given by, by Razam and Echemi Goldberg at the time uh, in connection with uh, the Eretz Chemda Institute. Um, it happened so that Rabbi Zvulun Chalap, uh, Shlita, should uh, have a full shlema, uh, told me he had a case in the Bronx 
uh, many, many years ago. He was a Rav in the Bronx. I don't know if he consulted with Rav Salavashev, whom he consulted, he indicated he consulted with many, many Rabbanim at the time. Same exact situation, same exact solution. Um, what's mentioned over here by both Rabbi Yosef and uh, Rav Uzio, that just because you can't convert the mother doesn't mean that you can't figure out a creative way to, cre- uh, to, convert, uh, to convert the children. So when I met with this couple at that point in time, you know, I, uh, I, I mentioned, I was, I was debating with myself whether to mention it or not. Truthfully, because I thought that maybe on the one hand it's appropriate to mention because uh, they should know that if they are going to continue to live in sin, like the children don't have to necessarily be lost forever. On the other hand, I don't want to encourage them to live in sin. So, but you know, I, I figured out an oblique way, you know, to mention. They said, "Oh, so should we do that?" I said, "No, of course you can't. Shouldn't do that. You should get divorced." Um, uh, but uh, the uh, but but, uh, but but there is uh, such a possibility. Um, if you, you know, uh, if any, uh, if things should work out a particular way, uh, that is, you know, something that um, children are, do not necessarily have to be lost, uh, have to be lost in the shuffle. But I, I, was, I was very clear with them um, that uh, this was not uh, something that I was uh, endorsing in any way. So uh, the uh, so Rav Schwartz concludes this shuva by saying we certainly can't rely upon the Malami the whole. He also quotes from Moshe at the end. Rav Moshe in his shuva on the subject said, "Yes, yeah, somebody told me about the Malami the whole." But, you know, I can't look it up because I don't have it in my library. I, I don't know how to access the Malami Hall. A very interesting comment by, uh, by, by Rav Moshe. Clearly, just, you know, didn't hold, uh, didn't hold by that tshuva. Uh, but he says that even that we're not going to be mako to convert to the woman um, uh, for all the reasons that have been mentioned. So it's a, it's a shia, it's a chutz mitavech, it's a chil Hashem, etc., etc. It's going to lead to more averus. Uh, but nonetheless, and to halalos. But But he says, we see that there is a, some a sort of a consensus that it is appropriate to convert at least the children. Um, so therefore he says, um, They have a young girl. Let her be converted. You can't convert, you can't convert the woman. But then he adds one more important note. And that this is something that Rav Moshe has in his chuvos, which is, um, make sure that the guy is really a koi. Make sure the guy is really a con, because sometimes, you know, we just spoke about the previous shuva where there were very strong indications that the person really was a con. He says sometimes it does happen that there is a mistaken perception that a person is a Kohen when they're not really a Kohen. And, um, he, uh, and he quotes a couple of shuvas from the Yigas of Moshe. If you look at page 5 of uh, the, um, of the materials, so, so uh, but Moshe has a, a famous shuva, and the Chayvik Moshe. Um, uh, that it was discovered he only knows he's a coin from his father because only when he became bar mitzvah did the father say, "Oh, you're a coin, you're a coin." But the father had no of guna. The father was not a shomer Torah at all. He ran away from his parents when he was very young. There's no indication uh, in the family, and quite the contrary. Um, in this particular case, uh, there is another first cousin uh, once uh, once removed. Another, you know, they, they they always come to save the day one way or another. So here's another woman who's a first cousin once removed, you know, from the father's side. And um, she says, how in the world can you think that you're a Kohen when my father, you know, who was uh, the brother of your grandfather, was definitely not a Kohen. Um, so here it works in exactly the opposite direction. It's kind of the mirror image case of what, of what Rav Schwartz was, uh, what was talking about. Um, uh, so therefore he says that there's no Nehemiah, so the person is definitely not a coin. But then to take it even one step further, you look at the following shuva, which is shuva number Zion 7, on page 5, wild case, wild case. You have a Baal Shuba couple, okay? Baal Shuba couple, but again, here's the problem with the Baal Shuba couple. The husband is a Kohen. 
And the woman um, was is a convert. She had converted to the conservative movement. Okay, so what do you do with this Baal couple? Somebody told me, uh, I don't know, I don't see Chaim tonight, Chaim Reich, but he told me that he was listening to a Shia from Rashai Shechter who said, you know, that somebody was in a Baal couple was in this situation. The man was a Kohen and the woman was a Giyaris and trying to figure out, you know, what to do. And uh, finally, they 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 um, uh, they latched upon a great solution, having renounced his kuna. So I said, you can't renounce his kuna unless somehow the guy like decides to go to a daka. I said, yeah, that's exactly what they were trying to figure out to do. They happened to have to, but the guy to have a vasectomy, so he'll become a pitzua daka, and then maybe able to, to marry a giyaris. I said, that is crazy. Okay, um, so we're not even going to go there. Um, uh, but um, it says, uh, so in this particular case, um, uh, he discusses the following. He says that um, uh, the first uh, that as far as her conversion was a conservative conversion, so it really doesn't count for anything. But he says that she'll have to undergo another conversion because she'll have to undergo an orthodox conversion. Ah, so then she won't be able to stay with this fellow. He says not necessarily. Could I look at the fourth line? But could I lachkor odapam and mishpach leda yichusu lekuna kim medina zoom bayaras avachakos tzarek medika that it could very well be the case that uh, maybe this fellow is not really a kohen uh, after all. Um, so therefore, he says to have her do another uh, another geiras, um, and um, in the event that he's a kohen and she wants to remain with him, so you're not going to be able to do a geiras altogether because that's going to be a chutzmi davarachad, and therefore you can't do the geiras. On the other hand, maybe you'll discover the fellow's not really a kohen, in which case they'll all live happily ever after. So that's also a possibility. So Rav Schwartz. Always, you know, very um, uh, solicitous and sensitive uh, to people's uh, predicaments. Just ends his shuba with that, you know, hopeful note. Instead of just sending people away with pachinavish, he says that it's appropriate for the Rav in question. Because you know, maybe there might be uh, some room for leeway on that basis, and you know, he ends the shuba um, in um, in that vein. Okay, so in Mitzvah Shem, uh, next time we will continue. There's quite a lot of chuvos and shots. I have one from uh, from the first day of other, uh, which is. Uh